Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by my brother and gunsmith, Kurt Martonic. So Kurt runs his blog, Kurt the Gunsmith, and works for C-Sharps, building premium black powder rifles in Montana. So on today's episode, we discuss stories from our childhood, some gunsmithing, learning to hunt antelope, upland bird hunting, three bucks in three days, a story from when my dad was there and my brother and sister-in-law, Kurt killing a free-range bison in North Dakota, Lessons learned from hunting the West, his gunsmith blog, and much more. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low-light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck-owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima Overhaul HD bars on top, so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. 
So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. This podcast was recorded back on our bear hunt a few months ago, so it's a little bit dated. And if, if you hear the story about uh, finding turkeys, Kurt did end up killing a turkey the next morning. I think that actually that story was out in a podcast a few months ago uh, where I had Kurt on for something else. Um, but uh, I just wanted to, to let you know, if, if you would, go check out Kurt's website, KurtTheGunsmith.com and follow him on instagram and go wild if you're interested at all in rifles just even simple cleaning stuff or if you're into the complex stuff kurt does his research and is very intelligent in that unlike myself so i would highly recommend checking out his resource there for information and i'm currently on my montana elk hunt so there will be some shipping delays until September 10th on my website until my alternate returns from vacation to be able to ship the apparel orders. So, But they will go out soon. So just be patient, please, with us. Uh, we'll get your orders out as soon as possible. So thank you for that. And if you're out hunting already or whatever, I hope you're having good luck. And uh, hopefully uh, be able to have an update here shortly on how the hunt's going. But until then, take care and thank you for listening. All right. We're live from Bear Camp. Kurt, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been it's been a couple of years since when I had you and Chris on the last time for that turkey, turkey podcast. Yeah, it was for uh, 2020 Colorado Miriams. I gotcha. So for those of you listening here, um, here at Bear Camp, we got the video podcast rolling here. Justin's got the camera going from inside the, the seek outside courthouse, like the big, big ass wall tent, I guess is a yeah a good lightweight wall tent. It's a good way to, to explain it. So um, it, the whole entire tent weighed 12 and a half pounds, which is pretty that's, incredible. That, yeah. It's pretty light for uh the size of this. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't reach the ceiling to put the poles up, so that was uh <laughs> that's yeah, interesting. For only having two people in here, you have so much room that yeah, a lot of room for activities. Yeah. <laughs> I'm podcasting here tonight, so uh for those of you who don't know, uh this is my brother Kurt Martonic. Um he lives out here in Montana, is a gunsmith, uh gun fanatic um, <laughs> avid hunter, grew up in Pennsylvania, was in, in the military, traveled all over, lived in Colorado, lives in Montana. I mean, basically living the dream. Yeah, definitely living the Western dream. A lot of, a lot of hunting going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, you definitely get in in Montana here. Nobody that's a Montana resident likes to likes to talk about it, try to keep people out, but there's definitely a lot of opportunities for those of you who are residents. Yeah, lots of hunting pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but anyways, I wanted uh wanted to bring you on here and talk about just I I figured we kind of just start back since when when I had you on was that was that the only time I had you on with yeah, Chris? Yeah, that was the only time. So kind of just starting back at the beginning and how, you know, how you got into um, hunting and your obsession with guns and everything. Kind of go through that, and we I bet we will have some stories that can kind of roll out of that. Uh yeah. Um, the I'm just trying to think of. I had the childhood of most I think rural, rural people where you have spent a lot of time outside. Uh, I was very thankful. I know we we grew up when video games were just coming out, but we were our parents limited us pretty heavily. I think it was like an hour a weekend or something like that, which hated at the time. But I mean, we did a lot outside because of it. Um, hunted everything that moved, basically. Yeah. I mean, and it was kind of a progression of starting with the Red Riders, going to pellet guns, and you got trusted with the twenty twos, and then. That then we kind of I think we went the twelve gauges at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty big step. No, no, we had. Um, I I still have that gun, the four ten twenty two over right. and under. Yep. I think That's we went average. went went to that first, and um, but we we started we started shooting guns a lot younger than than it's probably acceptable in <laughs> these days. I definitely remember being six years old, being put up in Grandpa's tree stand with a twenty two, well, looking for chipmunks. Yeah, <laughs> and as a six, I don't know how many people would trust a six-year-old sitting up there with a twenty-two. He was only about five, standing about five feet behind me, but I was, I was on quite the safari. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a good time. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we were lucky um, growing up with with the the family that we did that was into hunting and shooting and, and shooting, and our our grandfather uh, who owned a gun shop back in the back in the day and he taught us just about everything as we were growing up with from from the standpoint of guns and oh, yeah. everything else between him and dad yeah it was uh it was kind of one of those things that another progression of just the machines you get uh i'd ride my bike over his house just about every day and then it went turned to four-wheeler and then it went to three-wheeler and then eventually when you have a vehicle but every time he we went over the house it was open the gun safe, pick out something new and go have fun with it, shooting at the backyard. Yeah. And, and we were, uh, so it sounds, it may sound irresponsible from the age, but we were, we were just talking about today about like how, uh, gun safety was drilled into us. Like, yeah, from, was, as that was like a big, you, you, you know, you just, there was, you didn't even think about having a gun point, and it sounds crazy, but you didn't even think about having a gun pointed in anybody's direction, even if it was unloaded. Like you just, even when you're carrying it, all yeah. that stuff, it was always making sure that it, that it wasn't. And that's still drilled into my mind today, you, you know, when we're on these hunts and everything. And Justin said that we got the gold star award as he's doing some filming, um, for making sure that not even by accident in any point, do we have a gun pointed in any yeah, direction? It's, yeah. It's very... I don't know. It's sometimes it's like over. Seems like it's overemphasized, but it's because it's. I mean, one mistake can literally change you or somebody else's life. It's just not not worth it. Yeah, yeah. We get we and um. But back to what you were saying about driving over to Grandpa's house. Like we were lucky because our our grandparents lived like 
I don't know, really like a quarter mile down the road from us. And so we had easy access to ride the bikes either right down the road or the four wheelers we'd go through. We had permission on the neighbor's farm and go through the woods and make it that way. We had a whole bunch of different. Yeah, there was always, always was a gun in the gun rack on the four wheeler on the ride over there because riding around through the, our neighbor's fields there, you never knew what you were going to get to hunt depending on what came from in front of you at the time yeah but yeah so we, we definitely grew up with that and then started just getting into it more i mean you i feel like you were tearing apart guns at a pretty young age yeah i was tearing apart guns uh just i was just fascinated by their mechanical workings and all that and then uh but it, i mean it all and all of it revolved around just the hunting portion of it because i think it I don't know if I was 13 or 14 is when me and Satch were obsessed with coyote hunting and we went coyote hunting every night for one year. It seemed like, um, I was being dropped off at his house. And then even on school nights, it was get dropped off right before dark. And then mom would come pick me up like 10, 11 at night after me and him did a couple sets in some fields and all that. And we had some pretty good success for those, uh, for those, those coyotes in Pennsylvania are very hard to, target and call in but yeah yeah it was it was a lot of a lot of fun but yeah i'd I'd still never killed a coyote from a call-in sequence but i I guess i never got you guys got really into it yeah you you had it dialed down like we would for hunting deer i mean yeah we had i mean we wind directions all that we were using nothing but mouth calls um i mean we lived and breathed it every piece of randy anderson's calling all coyotes dvds we had those things mesmerized, like, or memorized. It's, it was a good, I don't know, it was fun because it was, we looked at it as like we always wanted to hunt and that was the one thing we could hunt every day of the year. So we're like, let's just get good at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely, it definitely was. But that, I mean, as, as I've talked about a lot in this podcast and the family and being able to, uh, that, growing up in that sort of atmosphere and being able to go to camp and all those things, like, it was just, we had no other choice really (laughs) yeah and it's i wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted it to happen any other way yeah yeah and then you know then you kind of stepped away from hunting really for a little bit because you went into the military at that point uh yes and no i mean i stepped away but i still since i got stationed in new jersey it was only five hours from home during the hunting seasons i mean i i was coming home almost every weekend i remember i mean there's pictures of us with turkey so yeah. I think I missed one fall really. Um when you were deployed? Oh, I guess I guess no, that first year I missed the fall, but I I think I probably missed a couple with different deployments and stuff. Um but I usually tried to I I was very fortunate in my career where you could kind of plan out your deployments cuz we went so frequently as a regular schedule and I always avoided the fall. So yeah. that was kind of like I would go in the winter and the summer and do it that way. Yeah, you seem to be able to come home a lot more than most people in the military. Yeah, being that close. Uh, we always joked around. It was five-hour drive for me. It was close enough that I could be home when I wanted, but far enough away where I wasn't expected to be at every event. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the perfect, uh, perfect balance there. Yeah, so tell tell everyone kind of what you did in the military there because it, it was a pretty awesome job that allowed you to see a bunch of different things. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty happy to say that at this point in my life, I've never had a normal job. It's kind of, everything's been very weird and different. Um, when I was in the Air Force, I flew as a boom operator, so in-flight refueling. Um, I was 
in a different country every week. And I mean, from the time I was 18 till when I got out almost seven years later, it was just traveling like crazy. And it was, my job was while we were flying. So when I landed somewhere, it was going out, staying in hotel rooms, living off the local economy. Like it was a blast. And I've, I didn't get to do much hunting on those trips, but it was always in the back of my mind, especially when we ended up in like Texas or Scotland and stuff like that. It's like, oh, I yeah. really wish I could have had a little more notice for this trip and maybe made something work. But yeah, it was a, uh, it was a really, a really good experience. I had a very positive experience in the military. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, and, and then after you got out, you know, and, you know, a lot of people kind of, when you're in the military trying to figure out what you want to do afterwards is kind of difficult. I feel like for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's, I have a definitive moment in my, I remember, oh, I, cause I didn't, I went into the military not knowing if I was going to do 20 years or whatever. I just left it open. And I had a definitive moment where I'm like, I don't want to do this for 20 years. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do. And I did the standard Google what career should I do type of thing. And of course all the random stuff came up and, uh, then I found out that gunsmithing was actually a legit career. I just thought it was a hobby at that point. And it is for a lot of people, but, um, one thing that I realized is that there are a lot of gunsmiths, but they're not, I don't know. I I felt like there was a way that you could kind of take it next level. And to me, they had online schools, but I wasn't going to do that because it just, I felt like that was something I needed hands-on machine experience and all that. So I looked at other things and ended up going to Penn State online, got a business degree because I figured that was something that I could help myself with down the road in gunsmithing. Um, but yeah, and then aside from that, doing college and all that, I was reading every piece of literature I could get my hands on about the subject just so I could learn the terminology and I don't know, just get my mindset right for it. But yeah, it was kind of, there was no looking back. Once I made that decision, I was like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you got, I mean, it's good that you had that, that one that, you know, you were able to take, take advantage of, you know, the GI bill and everything to go to Penn state and then also be able to go to, was it the Colorado school of trades? Yeah. So actually I didn't even use the GI bill for the Penn state stuff. They had a thing called tuition assistance. So I, when I, and if you're in the military, look into it, if you haven't already, tuition assistance is phenomenal. It pays for your college. Um, and then you don't get your extra like monthly stipends and stuff, but I got I got my degree on that, and then I got out, and I still had four years left of college I could take. So two of that, or less, it was 14 months. 14 months of it I spent on Colorado School of Trades. So that was in Lakewood, Colorado. We went out there and lived there for almost two years. There was a little bit of a delay there. COVID, it shut down the school for a couple months. But, yeah, uh, I got to see, got to see Colorado pre-COVID, which I'm happy to say because a lot of people moved after COVID and it got one hour drives turned to four hour drives and trails that would normally be empty turned to just, I don't know, high traffic. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was crazy when I'd come to visit you. Like I visited you pre COVID and we'd go out and we go, even just in the summertime, I'd go out and go camping with you and stuff and you'd have kind of the pick of the, yeah, whatever yeah. you wanted to go camping and you and Chris Toomey, who was on the last podcast with you, like you guys always hung out and would go different places and fish and do yep. all that kind of stuff. 
yeah, it was it was frustrating seeing it go like that, but it's it is what it is. And I think uh, the way I kind of explain it to people, Denver seems to be the gateway drug before you start trying other drugs and the gateway drug is for moving out west you know yeah everybody that wants to live out west they move to denver first and they either like it or don't And if they don't and they want more western experience they branch off to wyoming utah arizona montana one of those um but yeah i my, I had a good experience in colorado but i was definitely ready to go i did some hunting did a lot of hunting in colorado not as much as i do now because the uh tag system in colorado they're more managed for quality over opportunity like montana but yeah for from the and from the gun hunting standpoint so like that's one thing we didn't mention like when we were younger kurt went completely down the gun route and you weren't really too interested in bows i did some archery hunting um i was never successful doing it i but it was more it was one of those things just to get out in the woods like i did hunt on the base in new jersey with a bow but I think, like, I don't know, compounds just never took my interest. I, I was carrying a recurve when I was doing that. I did miss a giant one time with my with a compound. Dad was sitting in the stand next to me, and I woke up, and it was standing there in front of me, and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, other than that, uh, I kind of just drifted towards the rifle part of it. And uh, I don't know, I, I and I always was taking weird stuff out in the woods, too. Just because I I loved old guns and I loved the histor- history part of it. And I was like, if I can add a little piece to the history of this gun, that'd be cool. Yeah. Even well before you went to gunsmithing school and stuff, you were taking old World War II rifles and modernizing them and changing them. And uh, I never I never really did too much of that, uh, of the modernizing of them. But I collected a lot of the World War II stuff and I hunted with them in those full military configurations. I did do, I did shoot a nice eight point with a trapdoor 4570 that was made in 1880 um one year so i was just turkey every year for turkey it was like i wonder what i could get it with this year whether it be an old double barrel or a black powder single single barrel shotgun like yeah it was uh i don't know it was it was fun that was my kind of challenge of it is open sights and doing it that way yeah, you yeah you always had those type, but I I remember didn't you modernize one um, or maybe sporterize one, whatever's the right term for it for Michael? Yes, I did. I did, and he uh, I still probably should look at that one to make sure he's okay shooting it because <laughs> that was I don't know one of your earlier. Yeah, builds. that was the probably he probably has claimed to the first build I ever had. <laughs> he sends me a picture about of it a couple times a, a couple times a year. It's, that uh, thing shoots flames out of it just about as far <laughs> yes. as a bullet goes. Yeah, that thing is. <laughs> what, what what was that again? A Mosin the Gaunt. Yeah. yeah. Shooting those old Golden Bear 203 grain bullets. Those are. <laughs> yeah, that was a. I, I don't I don't even know if I want to look at it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see. I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. And but when you were. I mean, I guess it was before you even moved to Colorado. You were still in the military when we went out west for the first time. What? Yeah, you went out first few times because you went out. Uh, we went archery elk hunting, but you didn't have a tag. You just went out and fil- filmed and just calling too. Yeah, and calling and yeah, you had that big part in the calling aspect and and getting to hang out. And then then you started. What was your first tag that you had out there? Uh, high tag? country muzzleloader. Oh yeah, that was our second year out there. Yep. You had that muzzleloader tag. That high country muzzleloader tag and saw some beautiful bucks up there um but 
for range of a muzzleloader, it was just not, and there was a lot of pressure that year in that unit. So when you were seeing bucks, by the time you got there, there was three or four other people making the same stock on them. Yeah. But I mean, it was fun either way. That's such a beautiful area there. Yeah, that was some high elevation, some rough, rough country. Yeah, we were hunting. rough, and, rough country. Yeah, I remember you'd be up high and you were hunting deer, and I was just down below in the timber yep. <laughs> hunting elk, and and it was like you know you were seeing elk and I was seeing deer. Yeah, exactly. And it, was, it, was, it was backwards. <laughs> yeah, um, that was that was fun. And then the next year is when you drew an early season rifle tag, or was that two years later? That was two years later when I got to Colorado. There was one year. I didn't go, I think. Yeah, one year I didn't get to go out. Um, but then that following year I got an early season rifle tag for Colorado. Um, we went up to the high basins and everything, and the deer weren't there. We ended up having to go to lower elevations and stuff, and it was it was challenging. We did, ju- we did see a absolute giant mule deer at one point. I took a shot at it. Um, it was too far. I didn't my rangefinder at the time was just kind of thought it was a lot closer than it was. Um, I thought it was like 300 yards. It ended up being like 450 or so, but it was, I mean, it was huge. It was your typical Colorado, just wide and tall mule deer. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not that unit, even with that rifle tag was very low success. If I remember right. It was. (laughs) And it was funny because I had to, luckily I had the regulations in the car, uh, back at the truck, but everybody I ran into that was a local, they had no idea that rifle season existed. I don't know if that was the first year for it or what, but it was like, they're like, what are you hunting? I'm like, mule deer. And they're like, with a rifle? It's not. And I was like, I opened the book. I'm like, right here. Yeah. And they're like, holy, I didn't even know that existed. Cause they were all buying muzzleloader tags. Cause that season started the week following that mm-hmm. rifle. But, uh, that unit is like that because it's the weather comes in so early there. You can't hunt those later seasons in uh, those high country areas. So, but yeah, it was a, it was definitely a cool experience. Yeah. And th- was that the same year that you hunted antelope too? Yeah. Yes. Yep. No, no. Okay. The year before that was it, it was two, 2019 is when you killed your antelope, wasn't it? Okay. No, that would have been the same year. Yeah. It was the same year. Okay. So then I went up to Wyoming. Um, I had scouted up there for antelope. I found a good spot. I had the a really positive experience, like most people will say antelope. There's a lot of people. Um, I didn't see one person while I was up there, but found a buck I liked. I went up there three months later, and he was within 50 yards of where I left him <laughs> three months before that. So um was able to put a stock on him and everything, and uh, I got him. It was, yeah, antelope hunting, that hooked me on that from then on just because they're they're just so cool it's such cool animals like even when i'm not hunting them and i see them i'm pulling over the side of the road just watching them because they're just so different and odd i don't know yeah but i I still haven't done i still haven't done antelope hunting yet but it's something i want to do because it just seems like there's a lot of opportunity it's it's it it can be hard to capitalize on them but it's a lot of opportunity yeah the the hardest part is getting to them the the best part about it is that you're seeing them the whole time you're hunting, you know, it's like, you can see antelope, they might be a mile away, but you know, they're there, you know, it's, yeah. And with a bow, I, I mean, the guys that do it with a bow, they're, they're, they're peak predator is what I'll call them. Cause yeah. that's, that takes some skill to get that close. I mean, 
I, I'm shaking at 200 yards, crawling on my hands and knees, wondering if they're going to spot me. And I can't imagine being at 50, 60 yards doing it. And then having to rise and draw your bow back and everything. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, no, it, and and that was so cool because when you shot that that buck, that antelope buck, it was right. It was day. Well, I guess it was a couple weeks after I killed my bull in Idaho, but we were just coming back at that time. Yep. And we met up and cooked up. That's when we cooked up the well, antelope back straps and yeah, stuff. antelope and elk. Elk. Up. Yeah, we cooked <laughs> cooked it up in the hotel room. We had the old propane stove going in the hotel room. Yeah, and set off the fire set alarm. Fire alarms going off. But <laughs> nobody was hurt. Yeah, and we had a good meal. Yeah, no, that was that was so much fun. And that's where we met Larry and Larry. Larry and Larry at the bar. <laughs> yeah, oh, they, those guys are hilarious. Yeah, they were they were they were a good time. Yeah, we were. Was it? Because we were on our way back, and was that Cheyenne? We were in Cheyenne. Yeah, yeah Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, met Larry and Larry, and they bought all our drinks for the night. and uh, Went out with us to all the bars and everything. Yeah, they yeah they were from they were from Sturgis. Yep, they were from Sturgis. We got business yeah, cards. They said they, if we ever want to stay there, they, we have a place to stay. Yeah, they two, two biker guys, um, hilarious. They bought all our drinks that night, and yeah, they put us in a... I remember spot. their, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. A, I remember their their thing they would do is a shot of Jaeger between each beer, yeah, and yeah. it was. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they're drinking two or three beers. It was like nine or ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And who knows how many they had before we met up with them? Yeah, but met them at the hotel bar. Yeah, that was that was such a fun, <laughs> fun, fun experience. Not after a fun that. drive back. No, no, it was not. Um, no, definitely, definitely not. But it, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really good time. And then the following year, uh, was it the following year that you killed another antelope out there? Yeah, You're out there with Mason Miller. Yep, brought Mason out, and uh, he had never done any western hunting before. So we went um, up to Wyoming, actually the same spot again. I was able to draw it, and. Uh, we had probably one of the most challenging antelope shoot hunts you can have. It was 70 to 80 mile an hour winds the whole week we were there. And camping on the plains in 70 to 80 miles an hour is like we found one little patch of brush and we just tucked the tents in there. But it was it was still pretty miserable. Uh, but And the effect of that wind on your bullet at antelope shooting distances is no joke. Um I remember I shot my antelope at 150 yards and my bullet, I even like accounted for the wind a good amount, but I think from where I was aiming to where the bullet hit, it drifted over 20 inches at 160 yards. That is crazy. Yeah. And it's, it was, that was shooting a 275 Rigby or a seven by 57 miles or so. They're going probably 29, uh, 27, 2800 feet per second. It's not a screaming fast bullet, but still that was, I mean, and I'm not exaggerating with the 70, 80 mile an hour winds. Like we saw it was going to be windy, but then after we got out of there, we actually looked at the weather radar or like the past of it. And there was, yeah, 70, 80 mile an hour winds that whole week. No, all across the West had that. That's crazy. But yeah, it's character builder. Yeah. Fun one to look back on, you know, type two. Yeah, that's yeah, and then you guys both tagged out on that trip. Yeah, we did. Uh, he had a doe tag that didn't we didn't get filled. Mm, okay. uh, but that one, I went scouting there in the summer, and I had my eyes on a non typical antelope. I think it's non typical. I don't know how you describe yeah, like, it. How do you? How, what makes an antelope non typical? This one had a 
horn that went straight out of his forehead. So one that went vertical like normal and the other one that went straight <laughs> out. And I called him the jester because it looked like he had a jester hat on. And uh, I went, I was dead set on holding out for him. I think it was like day two or three. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Out of, I think we were hunting for five days. It was day two or three. And like I said, with antelope hunting, you can see a lot of antelope and I had not located them yet. And we didn't go till later in the season. So I figured maybe somebody had shot them then. I took my antelope and on the last day when we were trying to fill his doe tag, uh, he popped out of a little ditch out in the plains. And so he still was still running around out there, which was, yeah, I was a little upset that I didn't hold off more, but Hey, um, I was happy with what I got. Yeah. Yeah. And then did, did you do any other hunts during that time? Frame? Yeah, I did. I had a muzzleloader, uh, mule deer hunt, but it, I went for one weekend that season's only a week long, but I went for one weekend. There was a lot of fires in that area. So it was like, I mean, no, no such thing as glassing with the amount of smoke that was there. It was in a heavy area. And then once again, since it was post COVID, I was running into people left and right and they weren't hunting. They were hiking off trail. Like I was miles from trails and I was just running into people walking their dogs. And I was just like, I, I don't know. Guys like, yeah, I found a deer trail and figured I'd follow it for a little while. I'm like, okay, well it's hunting season. Like, yeah, yeah I know you have a right to be here, but it's just more of a, I don't know. Yeah. More of a, one of a safety thing and kind of a courtesy thing. Yeah. Courtesy thing is kind of what I was thinking, but I don't know. It was. It was fun either way, but because I had a, I was kind of testing out some new, a new like little backpack and setup because I backpacked in on that one and um, just something real lightweight. But uh, yeah, that was the only, uh, I did do some hunting with some of my in-laws. They had tags and came out to Colorado. I didn't have a tag, but I went with them and they did really well with mule deer bucks. So that was a, what, third or fourth season rifle tag? third season i believe third season. yeah okay yep and yeah they 
they they have been absolutely crushing it going out to Colorado. So been doing really well. Um, I think that was it. Yeah, then it was moving up to Montana. All while I was there too, I did I did do a little bit, start doing a little bird hunting with my dog. We went up and got ptarmigan up at like twelve thousand feet, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of like the sheep hunt of the upland world. And I'm not like a diehard upland guy by any means, but. I have a dog that's kind of birdie, and uh, I just love seeing <laughs> what, her get what, excited what, what about it. What do you call Sage? Um, you had like a term for her because she's not like you know one of these fancy bird dogs, but uh, oh, well, she's a, she's my mutt. But uh, <laughs> I don't know what I I don't know what I was calling her. But it was I don't remember. It was funny. It was, it was that you but you kind of trained her to. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't do really. I feel bad now because when she was a pup. I knew she was smelling birds and everything like that, but I never really took time to train her because it was just, I mean, she was a house dog mainly. And I didn't, I just, I was just happy that she listened really well in the woods. You know, I didn't train her to point or anything like that, but I found out her nose is just phenomenal and she loves birds. Like, I mean, as we'll get to this past year, she just did absolutely phenomenal as a, as a dog, like everything I could ask for. Just, um, we we slayed it and uh, I don't, yeah, I, I, now I'm like, just, I'm, I will put time aside every year out here to, to do that. That whole month of September will be dedicated to making her just the happiest dog in the world. Yeah. Cause <laughs> just me and her and my wife and other, or a little cattle dog, we'll go set the wall tent up in the sage country. So you're not seeing other people camp and you're out there by yourself and hunting three four day weekends just having a blast it's it's a good time yeah and, and you're not like at that point you know like the elk hunters and stuff are in the mountains and everything so you kind of have yeah it's all pl- to yourself the plains to yourself and it's yeah i mean you're it's really good exercise too because you're putting on like 12 15 miles a day going through stuff like that and it's um and i don't know i just i've fallen in love with that sagebrush country it's just kind of where I'm at the point now where I'd much rather do a hunt in the sagebrush than I would in the mountains. Just, I don't know. Me and my wife are the same way. Uh, We said we moved out west for the mountains, and we've been staying out here because we just love the sagebrush areas. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I know Tim, uh, he's the same way. He said the same exact thing. where Yeah, he loves those plains areas as well. But Yeah, and I got to get Tim... Tim's camping next to us while we're bear hunting Tim Bueno. And, uh, he, I, I do, I believe he was one of the first podcasts that, that he was on. And, um, but he's, he moved out to Montana since he was a whitetail slayer in New York and just like, no matter where he went and big woods or whatever it was, he just did, did well. And now he's out here kind of living the, living the dream as you are with that. Yeah. He's, he's kind of a beast. He's on another level from where I'm at. Yeah, he's 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 pretty uh pretty special, that's for sure. What do you got there, Kurt? This is a big truck farms one ton high boy smash IPA. Yeah. It's pretty freaking good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's even after I had it in a cooler that uh I had it in the back of my truck and it was like 95 degrees and there was no ice in there anymore. So typically it would get skunked, but we recooled it and it yeah. still tastes pretty damn good. Yeah, it does. And I'm typically a bush light kind of guy. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not a big IPA person and I really like this a lot. 
Yeah. No, that's 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 cool. I was I was excited to to get you. Is that the first time you tried it? Yeah, it was the first time I tried okay. it. I I couldn't remember. You haven't been home in a while, I guess. So yeah. I don't think I've seen you probably in ten months. Yeah, since I was out here last June or July, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Oh wow, I didn't realize it was that long. Um, but yeah, so then, then you, um, but you'd moved to Montana for a job. Yes. I got kind of after graduating the school, the school had gotten me a job or had let me know about a job up in Montana and, uh, we were dead set moving back to Pennsylvania. I remember sitting on the couch next to my wife, getting a text from my placement guy at the school and he's like, how's Montana sound? And my response was pretty fucking good. And he, I was like, what's the job? And then he's like, stockmaker. And I love woodworking from the beginning. And like a stockmaker position in the gunsmithing world is once in a lifetime. Like that's not, it's not a common position to be able to just do stocks all the time. Uh, so I went up, did the interview. Um, it's at C Sharps. So we make old Sharps rifles. But went up and interviewed in the town. Um, so first, first good thing, it's Montana, right? Second good thing, it's small town, it's 1600 people. So it's like this, I mean, everything's lining up, then the perfect job. And I, but after he said what the position was, I didn't even, haven't said anything to my wife who's sitting next to me and he said the position. I looked at her, I was like, I think we're moving to Montana. And that was before even looking at like where the town was or anything. And she's like, are you serious? I was like, I think so. And she's like, okay, let's do it. And that was, went up for the interview, said, uh, liked, liked what I saw as far as pretty, pretty excited about the job. And, uh, yeah, we kind of switched from moving to Pennsylvania to Montana about a month before we were going to make the move. So, and then came up here, couldn't get any tags that first year because I was a non-resident. Uh, you have to wait six months as a resident before you can get tags here. So my first hunting was really uh spring bear and spring turkey out here yeah but yeah it's uh it's been pretty treated us pretty well so far yeah and and i got to see uh what kurt does and got to well and i was here last end of june or whatever it was and i came out and got to go take a tour of what you do at c sharps which is super cool it's awesome that you guys do the tours too yeah um in big timber montana and yeah i think a lot of people are surprised because i think uh like a firearms manufacturer is um modernized and all that like yes we have cncs but uh when i put a stock on a rifle there's that's me 10 hours to 15 hours of me using hand tools, fitting that piece of wood, getting it shaped to the right way and putting a good finish on it and everything. So it's, I think it surprises a lot of people that there's that much manual labor still in that type of thing. Um, what blew me away was how little people that work there. Yeah, we were at like, I think we're up to six or seven now, but we're, we're, there was four of us there for a while in the back of the shop. Okay. You got more now. Okay. Yep. We got a few more now. Um, but it was, yeah, there's only four of us back there. So you, and we were putting out almost 200 guns a year at that point. It was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of work, but I mean, great, great experience so far. Yeah. And yeah, I was just blown away getting to come out and it being a little bit different than Colorado with not having as many people everywhere. And we did hiking you introduced me to fly fishing which was something that i've always had interest in but never wanted to do because i don't as i say i don't have 
the time and money for another expensive hobby and something yep, that save I know I would. Old. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, I got into it in Colorado. That was like, I fly fished a ton. I mean, I was going in there first light, making two, three mile hikes back to this uh, one area that I just fell in love with. And, um, would have these just epic experiences. Like I was telling you earlier today or yesterday it was, uh, minks grabbing brown trout in the water in front of me and, or weasels and swimming across like things that you just don't see without spending that amount of time out there. And yeah, but fly fishing is kind of taking a back back burner for me as of late, even though I'm in one of the meccas of Montana, it's just kind of like, eh, I think I'll rather hunt right now. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's more days that you can, there's, there's more times that you can hunt big game here than not. Like days of the year, there's more days you can hunt big game than not. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome to have that as a resident, and it's super affordable. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the amount of tags that you got for the price that you got kind of blew me away. Yeah. I, <laughs> and the thing, the best thing about Montana, as a hunter for me, I'm used to like one week seasons, you know, and I think the season's a month and a half for deer and elk and two months for antelope, something like that. So, and that's with a rifle. So, and you have all those tags in your pocket. When you go into the woods, you're not limited to like this, oh, in this area I can shoot a deer. This area, like you can basically whatever you come across or get on the trail of, you are able to legally pursue, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Because I feel like every time I'm out in the woods, I always have these epic experiences with stuff that I can't hunt. Yeah, <laughs> so it's nice. Uh, yeah, and you um and you you haven't you haven't killed a turkey yet or a bear yet here. You killed a, you killed a Miriam's in Colorado that was a giant, which I yeah. had had you on the last last podcast talking about. I killed that, a Miriam's but... in the fall there too in Colorado. Oh, you did? Yep. Oh, I didn't remember that. But I haven't killed one up here where I'm at. There's a lot of turkey. It's all on private ground. It's hard to get permissions for. So, and I've tried a little bit this year. Hopefully, hopefully maybe tomorrow we'll seal the deal. Yeah. But, so, yeah. So <laughs> when we came out here bear hunt, just a quick side story was, uh, and I, I was been rolling Kurt about this because he's like, oh, I was like, should I buy a turkey tag? And you're like, no, most turkeys are on private. You know, don't worry about bringing your gun out here and all this stuff. We get here, we run into a couple guys from Pennsylvania and they're like, there's like eight gobblers just pounding yeah. away. And they ran out and bought tags, came in. They borrowed came, a shotgun. Borrowed a shotgun, killed one. Um, and they, they had just left a little bit ago. And so then I went out and went out and got uh, cell service to be able to buy a tag online. And you had your shotgun with you. So tomorrow we're going out. You're going to be the, the, the shooter there with the shotgun. And um, But, yeah, with bear hunting, like what I was told from a lot of people is like, you know, sleep in in the mornings and, you know, get out there and glass all day. And most of your actions at the, the end of the day. So we're like, well, we'll hunt turkeys in the mornings and, and hunt bear in the evening, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of how the plans evolved. Didn't do that this morning. We had a nice slept in pretty good. Yeah. We did sleep in really good. <laughs> had a great, great night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I had that wood stove, my wall tent rolling before I went to bed. Yeah. Not, and we'll, we'll talk more about this hunt in a separate podcast at the end of it. But, uh, the one thing that when I got this, the seek outside courthouse, I was like, I I'd bought a seek outside, um, tent a while ago and it was 
<laughs> it was a teepee shelter. So I was like, okay, um, I have a wood stove for it already. Well, I didn't account for the height of this tent and the fact that my stove pipe wouldn't be long enough. And I got the tent like literally right before the trip and never even set it up prior to it. So all that stuff I always say about testing your gear ahead of time, I didn't do that because because it, which well, I shipped it directly yeah, to your house. Yeah, you shipped house. the tent to my house. So. Um, but uh, I was like, uh, so we got the tent set up and went to put the stove pipe in, and it just reached the top of the, the roof. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't even poke through. Not not really the ideal scenario, just pumping the smoke inside the tent. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so we, we, we were a little bit... Uh, dragon this morning but that was that was nice i i enjoyed that still (laughs) yeah for sure um but anyways back to back to hunting in montana so then um then you went into your first like fall as a as a resident and and you guys kind of had an epic year yeah we did um well i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with a buddy's hoyt rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoSticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. It was at the end of the year, we were kind of ready for the, I hate to say this as a lifelong hunter that looks forward to it for every waking moment, but at the end of the year, we were kind of ready for a break. Yeah. We kind of wanted a weekend where we could just not do anything because there's so many, you have so many tags in your pocket and so many things you can hunt that like you just can't sit still at your house. And I work 410, so I have Friday through Sunday off, which meant every weekend from the 1st of September till the end of December, I was out. Like I hunted three days every week. So I don't know what, what that adds up to being, but uh, we started in September hunting birds, um, sharp tail and sage grouse. Uh, my dog, I'm just going to go on a side tangent because I'm just so proud of her. My dog, Sage. And I named, we named her Sage in New Jersey before we even knew we were ever going to live out West. And yeah. it turns out Sage Brush is her, like, if she has a favorite plant, that's definitely it. <laughs> she just like, when she sees Sage Brush, she just gets so excited. Um, but she went from just, she's a flusher, not a pointer, but she went from going, just flushing sharp tail randomly to like, 
identifying where they were at, what what height sage and what type of vegetation was around it to just plowing through that to try to, and then pretty soon she's like, that's a lot of work. I'm just going to go downwind to those high cover areas. And when she, so you'd see her beeline for this section and then she would kind of veer downwind of it. And if there was a bird in it, she would just nose to the ground, dive in, start sniffing and usually flush that bird to me. I'd either miss it or I'd hit it. And if I hit it, she was immediately on it at the ground and would bring it back to me. Like, and this is all with, like I said, virtually no training. Like she chases a tennis ball and brings it back to me. Yeah. And like, so I started doing wing drags in my backyard and all that. And just during the week between hunts and she, yeah, she absolutely slayed it. She was just phenomenal. And then we got a pup that's a cattle dog. So definitely not a bird dog at all. But we figured out a way to work her into the mix by me and my wife, like we're we're the herd, you know, we're that cattle herd for her. Yeah. And if me and her are standing next to each other, she is just up next to Sage, just like bumping into her and all that. But if me and my wife separate twenty to thirty yards, Rosie's just like, I need to make sure you guys stay together. This is my my herd's falling apart. So she just starts circling. Yeah. Between the dog, me and Abby, and what that does is covers all that ground that Sage possibly misses or that we're not going to flush. Because as many bird hunters know, uh, it's you're walking this vast area, and you sometimes those birds don't flush unless you're within four or five feet of them. So you got to make sure, like she's she's doing all that in between work where you're like, oh, I probably walk by a bunch. Not with Rosie, she's yeah, <laughs> she's all over the place. Yeah, and you would never, you probably would never known that she would have been doing that from when you adopted her. Like no, and that's the the funny part about it too, because I mean that's just ingrained with how she's been bred over the last hundreds of years, you know. But uh, she she knows what we're after now too, and when she finds fresh sign, she rolls in it. So. <laughs> it's when you see her drop her shoulder it's usually fresh grouse shit which smells terrible <laughs> but that usually is a good factor of saying okay we're in the right area you know and that's her way of helping us out that's what we think of it or she's just yeah. like cover scent you know <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> but uh so yeah we did that for the first until antelope season opened up and i uh, had a great great experience of that killed a lot of sharp tail Killed some sage grouse, which that's kind of another one of those, like got that ptarmigan in Colorado. Sage grouse is another one of those bucket list hunt for upland hunters. And I'm getting to do this with, I mean, just because of where we're at, like Montana's in the lower 48, that is like the Mecca for bird hunting, you know, South Dakota for pheasant, but for grouse species, Montana, you can hunt rough spruce grouse, blue grouse, sharp tail grouse, uh, Hungarian partridge, chucker all that so it's all those bird species in there but uh those don't really feed you for the whole year so yeah. they're, they're only a little bit of meat on them um antelope season rolled around i screwed up during the application period so my wife didn't draw the tag and i did <laughs> i won't hear the end How of that convenient. yeah well it was sorry I, abby <laughs> i didn't uh, yeah i didn't apply the bonus points i just misread it and i drew it with like 20% odds and she didn't draw it and uh yeah this year we should draw a tag but uh she was a little upset with that the first day of uh the first day of antelope hunting was kind of miserable I I filled my tag but got a lot of rain and rain out in the sage country with all that 
I think it's called bentonite. I'm not sure. I think it's bentonite. It absorbs like 18 times its weight in water when it gets wet. So it just turns into a clay. And the area we were hunting was one of the access programs that the state of Montana has. So it's private land, but you can sign in for access. We got to drive this dirt road the whole way back, which is normally good. But when the roads were wet, I mean, my wheel wells were just packed full of clay. And like anybody that's been in this situation knows exactly what I'm talking about and knows that they will never do it again. Cause I, I am like wet roads anymore here. If it's dirt road, I'm just gonna, I'll stay home. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not worth putting yourself through that. But, uh, it was the kind of mud where you're going through and your boots are just piling up and weighing 10 times what they should. And then they let loose and your leg goes flying up and you do a little karate kick and keep going. <laughs> it's uh, a, <laughs> But yeah, we had a antelope, found this nice buck and it was one of those, antelope are super hard to judge distance because it's usually flat in sage country. There's no uh, telltale sign there. And I left Abby at the, at this one spot and I'm like, okay, we're like 600 yards from him. You stay here on the spotter. I'm going to crawl in. I kept crawling, kept crawling, hit the rangefinder, 600 yards, kept crawling, kept crawling, 600 yards. The, the antelope weren't moving. It was just, I was hitting sagebrush in front of them. And I probably went over a mile to the, cause they're so hard to judge, especially like when you have an overcast and the sun shining on them for a moment, makes them look bigger than they are. It's, uh, but that's, that's the cool part about that sage country. And, um, finally got into shooting range, put it down. We processed it. I got this pretty epic picture of Abby, uh, with two quarters in her backpack just like having the time of her life helping me pack it out. Um, I think she's laughing because one of the hooves just smacked her in the face, one of the muddy hooves. But (laughs) it was, uh, uh, the pack out was kind of miserable because of that wet. I mean, we were were probably a mile from the vehicle, so it wasn't like it was some crazy hard up in the mountains thing, but a mile from the vehicle, but your boots getting filled up with that mud. And like I said, letting loose randomly when you're least expecting it, throwing your leg up, just, uh, yeah, you're sore the next day for sure. But, uh, the following weekend I had a doe tag for that same area. So I went out, um, had a really heavy snow that weekend. All the antelopes started migrating. So where they normally would have been, they, I had to change my plan. Uh, I went to plan B, C and D finally found them at E (laughs) and, uh, Got filled my doe tag there. Then elk and mule deer season opened up. Uh, It was really, really slow. We spent a lot of time out in the woods and out in the plains. And places we had seen deer all the time, Just they just were not there. And it wasn't because of hunting pressure. Like, um, I mean, it was because of hunting pressure. The Montana's loaded with people. Um, <laughs> the I don't know if it was just they changed their patterns or whatever, but... It was really disappointing because, I mean, we were hunting hard every day and not seeing deer. Where places where we'd see 30 or 40 deer on a normal outing. So we're just like, what's going on? Then the rut hit. And that just, I mean, anybody know, anybody listening to this podcast knows what the rut does to deer. And all of a sudden, you're just seeing bucks. We went, we had a three-day period. My dad flew out to hunt with us. This is right after he's. Riding on cloud nine with that giant buck he killed in Pennsylvania, comes out, has a general tag, and hunted with us. Um, I killed a buck. I 
think it was on a Sunday. I killed a buck on Sunday. My wife went out after work on Monday that same week, killed a whitetail, beautiful whitetail buck all by herself. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, she calls me. I'm walking into the hardware store after I got out of work. It's like great as it's getting dark. She calls me. I just got, I just killed a buck. And I'm like, where are you at? So she, I knew where she was at, but I was like, send me a, a pin of where you're at exactly within that area so I can. Um, and of course she had my vehicle. So it was, she had the forerunner out there. All I had was her little car and dad was out in the woods hunting with their vehicle. So I called my coworker, uh, Pat and he, me and him hopped in his truck, went out there. She was sitting there in the dark with the deer she said there was a pack of coyotes coming in after her. <laughs> she said she kept seeing eyes with her headlamp around her, so she was pretty pretty worried about it. But we uh, got that out of there for her, and she made an excellent shot with her with her rifle. Yeah, it's, I think it was like 80 yards. Um, was it one you built? Yeah, I built that one for her. Okay. It was a Remington Model 7 and 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, you know, a nice long-range cartridge for that 80-yard shot but uh <laughs> she uh i don't know it was really good that she got to do it on her own because i feel like i probably would have ruined that situation by like saying hey we're running out of time like you got to shoot type of thing where she said she waited for she said she felt like 10 minutes trying to wait for it to turn and get the right shot but uh i mean you know how that goes yeah that 10 minute feeling could be 30 seconds but uh the point is she waited got a real steady rest on it and waited for that perfect shot. No meat damage at all. Perfect double lung. Um, I think it ran like 20 or 30 yards and piled up. So uh, it's pretty pretty epic. But then the next day, my dad was out in the mountains and shot a beautiful Montana mule deer. Yeah. And um, he shot it not far from where I shot mine. Uh, so we had two pack outs there in that same area, which is a pretty, pretty rugged area as far as uh both actually his wasn't at night but my pack out was right at dark so we were getting cleft out packing it out and everything and it was kind of some sketchy sketchy terrain to be doing at night but uh we did it and it was fun Mm -hmm. um his buck we did a couple trips on it just to save our backs for the area and everything but and it wasn't like it's not like it was five miles back in so we uh we could do that and not spend a whole week doing it, you know. But yeah, it was a pretty epic season. Um, didn't didn't get to fill my elk tag, which I was a little upset with. Um, but so far we had two antelope and two deer in the freezer, and then uh, C sharps. We did a company hunt, went out to North Dakota, and actually got to I got to shoot a bison with a sharps rifle, which is pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, shooting. Just the opportunity to hunt free range bison yeah. in North America is like is a once in a lifetime. Oh, absolutely! It's a bucket list hunt for me, and everything happened in the perfect like how it happened as far as with the the buffalo gun. The original yeah, buffalo with the original gun. buffalo sharps. gun, sharps rifle, uh, forty five seventy black powder shells. I was using all that. Um, it was, I mean, what an amazing animal! You walk up to it, and it's just like all right, we have eight hours of work here ahead of us to get this thing out of here. Yeah. Um, just get it cut up, get it cut up. And, and that's just quartered. Like that hide is so thick. And when your, your knives are just 
you're just you have two or three knives you're sharpening each one and get about 10 15 minutes of cutting sharpening each one because that hide's just so thick Mm -hmm. but uh yeah that was an amazing an amazing experience and it put a lot of meat in the freezer oh yeah i we've been eating bison jerky this whole trip and what else do we have uh we had we had mule deer for lunch today but uh you got a bunch of bison for this week all that like it's yeah, your freezer is definitely uh, not lacking. No, and it, it's get, it's allowing me for this upcoming year to kind of focus more on quality as far as um, this past year was more for me to do kind of, I've never killed mule deer before, so I wasn't super picky. I got a pretty, I got a two-year-old buck, so it wasn't anything special, but for me, I just wanted to, I've never put my hands on a mule deer, you know? Yeah. Um, and elk too, that kind of gives me a a reason to hold out a little bit and maybe pass up on the that first one that comes across, you know, maybe wait for a better one. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to hunting this year again. I even have a unlimited sheep tag, so that's kind of a nice perk. Yeah, that of, that should be uh that should be an interesting hunt. Yeah, um I'm excited to we'll see. I don't know, hopefully the quota doesn't fill before I get down there, but uh I'm hoping to get at least a few few weekends in there just tromping around the mountains. Yeah. That 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 would be that's another once in a lifetime type. I mean, you could you know get it every year the tag, but as far as yeah. <laughs> the ability to actually shoot one. Yeah, and if pretty I pretty incredible. Yeah, if I can if I can pull it off, I mean, that's just maybe I'll just I'll probably just quit hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll never do that, but <laughs> Yeah. Maybe I'll start fly fishing. Maybe start fly fishing a little more. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. No, it it's um it, it was cool to get to see you cuz I mean like you started hunting out west in 2016 and you know it took a few years and kind of similar to what you know my progression with it was it takes you a little bit to kind of yeah. get in the groove with it and understand it. Like what what do you think like do you think just from getting to learn the areas, getting to learn the different species, like what was that, was that the most difficult part of it? And like, what kind of led you to starting to be a little bit more successful now? Um, Oh, I think one of my hardest, my biggest problems I have is I've always been big into tracking deer and, and elk or whatever. So I'm constantly looking for tracks and out here it's so open. It's burned me a couple of times as far as my head's looking down at fresh sign and not looking up and at 150, 200 yards, there are those bucks bedded out in the open in the plains. Mm-hmm. And they see you before you get to see them because you're focused on what's on the ground. Uh, that's happened to me multiple times. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's learning the areas, um, but learning how to read the sign for the different animals. Once you figure that out, I mean, there's the weird part about out here is signs everywhere because it's so dry that elk poop lasts years. So if you find a pile of elk poop, you got to be able to tell if it's that been that last week or even the last couple hours or days because you might find an area you're like, oh my, there's so much elk sign, but that might have been from two years ago. Yeah. So it's you You got to be able to identify that. Um, I don't know, being patient, that's, that's what I struggle with. I, I could say that there's been a bunch of times I didn't fill a tag because I just wasn't patient enough. 
you get excited because you can see so much and you know you can get there that like sometimes you just need to sit for a while and kind of let things play out but yeah no i mean that's, that's something that comes with experience yeah that's that's not something that's easy to teach and we we're talking about it you know even bear hunting like when this is something that's so new to all of us like and it's hard to get that confidence to sit and be patient with something when you're not sure if even what you're doing is right. Yeah, so like, exactly. So as you've learned, like with mule deer hunting and everything else, like to be able to to confirm that, like it just. Yeah, you don't know what um. You you always second guess it because you're like I like I feel comfortable in the Pennsylvania woods. You know, I yeah. I feel like when I sit down somewhere, I'm pretty confident there's a deer gonna come through. Right here, you're like. You don't see a deer for a couple hours because you can see so far. Once again, like Pennsylvania, you're locked into that yeah, hundred yards around you. You know, we're out there or out here. It's like you can see for so long, but there's so many little hidden folds and everything like that where those deer and elk hang out. And and having that patience to not just say, "Oh, I'm in the wrong area. I got to get up and move." Yeah, because it's. I mean, you, as soon as you sit down, you're like second guessing everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't, and you don't know until you do it. And yeah. that's, it's something that's hard to teach on here. It's, it's you got to blow out a bunch of deer to get that, figure out where they're going to be, you know? Yep. No, definitely. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, and then I, just, I wanted to transition kind of towards the end here is you've started doing, um, some writing and some other stuff. Uh, so as, most people here know that I, I do a lot of writing in the, in the hunting space and everything, but you started doing some of your own and did you start by writing for anybody first or did you start your blog first? Um, I started writing for a company called Sage and Breaker. So they make high end cleaning products and everything. And I owe a lot to him, Fred Bohm. He, uh, I was kind of, I kind of gave up on Instagram for a while. I'm not gave up on it. I just was off of it for a while. I just kind of had a little social media stepping away for about four or five months i'd get on the check messages about once a week and went on there and checked one time and i had a message from him just inquiring about if i was interested in doing any writing and i've i read a lot like i i read a lot of books and that i think anybody that does that they're interested in writing a little bit or have they have some sort of uh I don't know, you're just driven down that path. And I've always wanted to write and it was been in my plan, but this this has kind of been like he was kind of that nudge forward like I'm just going to do it now, I guess. So Yeah. Started doing some articles for him. He primarily targets towards or not targets, but primarily his customers upland hunters and stuff like that, which I'd been doing a lot of, so I do a lot of writing on shotguns for him. Um I started my own blog at that point. It's called kurtthegunsmith.com. Um, I do just various gunsmithing topics and general gun topics, like how to sight your gun in for hunting. Um, and then there's other stuff like cleaning stuff, gun cleaning, how to protect a wood stock while you're hunting, like stuff like that. That's to me, general knowledge, but to some people, if they search that online, they could end up on a forum board where they get 50 different answers and everybody arguing about stuff. So that was kind of my way to drive people from the forums and be like, I do this, it works. Like I'm not, like it's not some kind of made up thing. It's not going to hurt your gun or whatever. Yeah. Some like, I don't know, solid, solid advice. And there's the way I do things is not the only way, you know, it's, but it works for me. Yeah. And and how many, how many, uh, 
articles do you have on there now? Because it's a lot for the amount of time that you've had the blog up there. So I started it last July, and I think I have like 55 or something like that up on there. So I yeah. yeah, and that's I did some writing for Free Range American as well. I think I got like five, six, or seven articles up on there, various different topics. But yeah, I really, I really, really enjoy the writing aspect of it. It's just, uh, for me, it's more than just like trying to educate people. It's for myself too, to solidify some different techniques and like really dive down and actually organize information. I mean, the reason, the whole reason I started my website is I'd be researching a topic and I'd have three or four books laying out on my workbench, cross-referencing them and finding stuff. And then I'd find what I'd need and I'd close everything. And then it was like, if I ever came to that process again, I would have to do the exact same process to find that if I didn't remember it, if it was like kind of an odd thing. So now when I write it down, I have my own little encyclopedia to search that certain thing and find all the information, like whether it's the temper or spring or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, having your own things and and then helping others by being able to to put it out there. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, I mean, gunsmithing is one of those weird occupations where there's really nothing new. Everything's kind of been done, but there's just such a vast amount of information out there and so many different techniques to use it. Like you can pick up a book and it's going to tell you to use whale oil to lubricate your gun. Like where are you going to find that type of thing? So it's just finding what stuff works and what doesn't and uh, putting it out there. So it makes it easier for other people. Yeah, and then you do some on Instagram, which is Kurt the Gunsmith yep. as well, which, as you would mentioned, you know, Instagram doesn't like no, guns. they don't like guns at all. So, guns yeah. are bad. I'm yeah. learning. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, you put stuff up on there, and then you have uh, a, um, also an account over on Go Wild, too, yep. just under your name, Kurt Martonic. So, you can check, check out all that stuff there. Definitely subscribe to the website um, if you want to look for anything uh gun related i'm sure if you, you reach out to, to kurt for anything questions or maybe topics you want him to write about and yeah absolutely if you have anything you want to like you want to he- see more about just reach out to me because i'm always looking for stuff to write about because I'm, I'm in my own little world here in my head that of what subjects i want to write about and i don't know what some stuff other people might want to hear and uh yeah definitely might not. I might not do it, but there's a good chance I will. So. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on uh, again here, Kurt, and, and talk with me. I'm starting to get kind of cold here because you shut off the Yeah, heater. I don't know why and I you, did that. Yeah, and you're co- you have the puffy jacket on and stuff, and I'm in a flannel, and now I'm cold in the tent. So I was always a little, I was always a little bit tougher. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. And better, and better looking. Your mustache is actually pretty much more prominent than mine right now. Yeah, so I think I'm about to get rid of it. Are you? When's this podcast going to go out? I don't want Abby to hear about it this way if she listens. <laughs> I don't know. It'll probably she hasn't seen me without a without facial hair in probably two or three years since like since the day I got out of the military. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Well, probably. Yeah, it'll probably be a little bit here. Okay. So. Then I can I can say it. <laughs> you don't have to edit this out. No. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for coming on again, Kurt. And thanks to everyone listening here and appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.